This is episode 19 of Strength Agenda Radio, featuring the head honcho of Afro-Brutality, Sin Martinez. This was originally supposed to be a one-episode interview, but once Sin and I got talking, we just could not stop, and there was just a ton of information. So what I've done is we've just split this up into a two-part interview, and part of the second part will be on the next episode. So enjoy part one of Sin's interview, talking about marketing and how it should relate to you and your business, no matter what it is. This is Strength Agenda Radio, the podcast where the strong go to get smarter. Each episode features some of the most interesting athletes and coaches in the strength world, sharing their favorite stories, expertise, biggest mistakes, and training tips. And now, here's your host, Tom Soroka. Today's top of the show is not a question, but more of an observation. For a while now, I've been seeing lots of folks posting videos on social media and giving detail to what lift or accomplishment they have just achieved. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with this. You need to be proud of what you just did and feel the need to share it. You know, good on you. But about two to three sentences down, there's always going to be some sort of disclaimer about that accomplishment. And by disclaimer, I mean there's a sentence or a statement that usually starts with something along the lines of, this is good, especially given... You know, insert how little time that person had to train or work or how much outside stress they have going on, how little sleep that individual had, previous injury, age, sex, or whatever disability that may make that accomplishment you're talking about seem more momentous. Now, I know I've been victim of this myself. You know, you know, a while back, I used to always have some sort of disclaimer about why I did something and why it was so much more important than it actually seemed on paper. Um, you know, but I feel like the growth and expansion of this social media monster, you know, has this type of thinking become like a widespread ac- epidemic, and you know, it's it, and it's forcing people to just keep ca- trying to one up each other and keep up with the Joneses. So my question to you is, you know, what happened to simply being proud of what you just achieved? Why does there have to be an asterisk next to you know what you did and and, and trying to downplay it or upplay it? Um, I'm not really sure if upplay is a word, but oh well, I'm gonna go with it. Um, you know, whatever happened to being proud and able to stop and reflect on the small, average, or large accomplishment, but not being complacent and wanting more next time? Why do we have to put up barriers and boundaries to convince ourselves something is better or worse than it actually is? If you are worried that there is somebody out there that is stronger, better, more skilled than you, and that can make what you did seem less significant, here's the truth of the matter. There is somebody that can do that. There is always going to be someone out there that can do what you just did better. That's a fact of life. But that doesn't have to be, but you know, or but what doesn't have to be the status quo is how you respond to that challenge. You can either take a step back and be proud of what you got done and either move on to greener pastures or ride the high of what you just did for as long as you'd like. Or you can tell yourself you're not satisfied and push for more next time you reach that obstacle. That's the beautiful thing about motivation. There's all kinds of motivators to getting the job done. You just have to find what gets you going and chase that feeling of accomplishment. If someone is going to be quick to bring you down or say not good enough, guess what? There's a few buttons on social media you can click and you can either unfollow the person or you can even block that individual. Don't get caught in the vicious cycle of doing things for other people or trying to make the social media gods happy. That's not a a life you want to live and it's not a very fulfilling one. Do things for you and to feel that sense of accomplishment and if you want to post about it, go on with your bad self. Now let's do the dang thing and give me two claps and a Ric Flair. Woo! All right, boys and girls. 
This might not come as a surprise to you, but I'm a bigger guy, and I have been for years. I remember the first time I had to take one of those medical exams to get life insurance. I scored horribly. Not because I wasn't healthy or fit, but because traditional insurance companies evaluate your health on an outdated standard called the BMI. Newsflash, that's not a great indicator of health for somebody who lifts weights or works out on a regular basis. So I've partnered up with Health IQ because I 100% believe in what they're doing. Rather than going the traditional route, Health IQ is a life insurance agency that offers exclusive rates to those that can demonstrate they know what a healthy lifestyle is and prove it through various methods like their Health IQ quiz, data from your fitness apps, and other unique ways. The advantage of working with Health IQ is that their unique mortality model is based on ensuring the health conscious and they have lower rates for health conscious people like a good driver gets on savings with auto insurance and unique underwriting, replacing the BMI with waist to hip ratio, cholesterol calculations, and other methods. Stop paying more than you need to, or worse, avoid getting life insurance altogether because you're afraid you won't qualify for great rates. 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance, and that can be you too. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com agenda, or mention the promo code agenda when you talk to a Health IQ agent. According to studies, lifting reduces your risk of heart disease and type 2 diabetes, among other benefits, like, you know, having awesome videos to post on Instagram. But Instagram views and followers won't be able to help you save money on your life insurance. So head on over to healthiq.com to learn more and get your free quote today. Welcome to Strength Agenda Radio. My guest today is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Sin Martinez of Afro Brutality. That's all I'm going to talk about because I can't wait for you guys to hear what he's got to say about a wide variety of topics we're going to talk to today. Sin, welcome to the show, my man. What up? So... Real quick, before we get into the fun stuff, just give people a little bit of a background, um, how you came to be, Afro-Vitality, and you know how you got your start in the, the fitness community, because that's how I knew you first, Right, was through CrossFit and all that stuff. Just kind of give a little bit of background about that, and then we'll get into the fun stuff. You got it. Um, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis. So back in 2000, from 2000-2005, I was making a shit ton of money, but I had I was working out of my home. I was a consultant. I was making about, I don't know, anywhere between five to 10000 a week. And I didn't see people, so I didn't have to leave my house. So I got into bad habits of going to Blockbuster in the morning, getting McDonald's in the morning with the hotcakes and the uh, sausages and the uh, syrups. And then I had the Chinese guy come in, uh, you know, for lunchtime. And then dinner was like, you know, whatever I could string together. So... After a few years of doing that, I was about 300 and some odd pounds, uh, totally out of shape. Didn't really realize it until uh, me and my girlfriend at the time, we used to run to the car, you know, like, you know, who can run the fastest because we both ran track in high school. So, yeah. oh, who can run the fastest? So she ran and she fucking dusted me, dude. And I was like, oh, what's going on? So, uh, you know, a friend of mine said, hey, you know, you want to start working out with us. I was like, absolutely got in there. And then my competitive side took over. I was able to lose about a hundred and some odd pounds, like 120, 117 pounds. Dang. Um, in the interim, I got into triathlons and running marathons and half marathons and five K's and 10 K's and all kinds of ridiculousness. So in 2007, I did about seven triathlons. In 2008, I did three. 2009, I only did one or two. 
Um, in the interim, I was doing various competitions around the city. I ran into um, this guy named Dave Lipson, this other guy, a uh, chick named Julian. Um, Jillian, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. And um, Lipson and I, we, we comp- competed in this uh, Nike course thing, and I won only because I was older than him and I could keep up with him. Yeah. But then we were talking about, you know, he was talking about what he did to train and he brought up this CrossFit thing. So I went home, did my own research and realized that this was going to be like the next thing. Absolutely. So um, I got behind it 100 percent, took a bunch of uh, certifications. This is like 2008. So I was one of the first on the East Coast. I was the second CrossFit in Manhattan to open. And um, I knew everybody, everyone knew me, and that's kind of how I got started. That's awesome. So you had CrossFit Harlem for a while there. Um, and the kind of the thing that drew me to start following you originally was at, at MDUSA, people would have some of your shirts and stuff like that. And then I started listening to interviews and stuff that you had done. And you had an interesting take on people who were trying to be competitive crossers because you were around from the time they had like sectionals yep. and, and all that stuff. And the open was just kind of a, um, it, it, it was, a, it was still a baby almost, you know, in terms of how the workouts were done, there was no open announcements right, and all that. Right, they would, just, right, they would right. just post, they would just post the workout up. You had a certain amount of time to get it done. And that was pretty much it. Cause I remember like watching Dan Bailey's videos and all that, but you had an interesting take on main site. Cause for a while there, main site was getting bashing on it. So talk a little bit about, I don't know if you remember that interview. I can't remember where I heard it from, but you just kind of put every competitive crossfitter on blast, and that was my first thought of, like, I like this guy. Like, I want to hear more of what he has to say. So talk a little bit about, like, the evolution in terms of the competitive side of CrossFit, what your take on it is, what you see, like, where it went to, how where it's going now and all that stuff. Um, that's an excellent question, and that's, like, a 10-year combined answer. So yeah. Um, I started out as a competitive CrossFitter before I even opened a CrossFit. Yeah. So we were the first ones to start doing, like, CrossFit competitions. Like, we did our first team competition in Hoboken, New Jersey in 2008, in December of 2008. And there was me, my crew from Harlem, and we weren't even affiliated at the time. I got the invite because I knew everybody from going to certifications mm-hmm. and doing local competitions. So literally the first CrossFit competition team-wise was in 2008 in Hoboken, New Jersey. So we were doing things that hadn't been done before. We were doing yeah. like memorial workouts. We call it like a hopper event. We did it in Brooklyn. We did a team event, as I just said, in Jersey. Like we just kind of all got together and tried to figure out who was the strongest, you know, depending yeah. on what the workouts were. I mean, it was it was such a family thing, dude. It wasn't like yeah. we were competing, but it wasn't like we were competing. Like everyone we saw, we all knew each other and yeah. we all knew who we had to beat to win. You know what I mean? Like people knew I was the strongest, so you had to beat me to win, you know what I mean? And there, there were yeah. guys that were fast, that could run fast and lift well, so you knew you had to beat them to win, you know what I mean? So it was such right. a family thing, dude, and it wasn't, it really wasn't competitive. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. We were all just kind of sitting around seeing who was the best, you know, and yeah. uh, we'd always get surprised. So that was 2008, 2009, like... It was just such a family thing, dude. 
Like, we were just guys that used to, you know, like, bicep curl and do all that crazy shit. And now we're cleaning, and jerking and snatching and all that. And right. we just found something in each other that made us want to be around each other. And we realized in that that we were just so even though we were different colors and coming from all kind of different places, we were all the fucking same dude. Like we were just yeah. insane fitness yeah. enthusiasts and we got together and worked out. So, I mean, that's where it started. It became something the, else, but that's where it started. Yeah. And I think at the core, that's how CrossFit became such this, you know, juggernaut that we see today is because, you know, you had pockets of communities like the one you're talking about that kind of, they just, it was just a bunch of people that wanted to work out together and, you know, throw down and be competitive within their group. And they kind of grew as a group. And then as, you know, those groups grew and it expanded. Now, I mean, it's the, the, the effect of it in the short amount of time that the CrossFit has been an actual thing is, is it crazy? Cause I mean, I think every year they put up the little statistic of how many affiliates they have across the country and how many um, different, you know, regions there are and all this stuff. And it's just, it's really cool to hear some of the grassroots story. Cause I didn't start really paying attention to CrossFit until about 2011, 2012. Right. And by that time, it was kind of a full blown thing with the games being in Carson and, right, right. um, you know, having rent, renting out the, the, uh, the Staples center and not the Staples center. Um, God, Home Depot Center. Home, Home Depot Center, yeah. yeah. You know, renting that big facility out and all that stuff. So by the time I started to pay attention, that's where it was. There, this, this grassroots stuff is kind of like, you know, going back and looking in a history book, like getting to see how people got going. So from there, um, how, how long after that did uh, Afro Brutality start? So I started Afro Brutality in 2009, and I did it um, slickly. I don't even know if that's a word, but – yeah. You know, I wanted CrossFit to know that there were people in Harlem. You know, we were all sizes, shapes, and colors. And we didn't have a, you know, big gym. We didn't have all the great equipment. But we were just as good as any of the top competitors at the time. And we were Absolutely. training in the street, on the sidewalk, in different parks. So, yeah, I just tried to come up with something that could stick in people's brain, had a little bit of culture behind it, and also was like, a call to action. So when you saw this word or you saw people wearing this or you saw people about this, you knew what time it was. Like this person doesn't, you know, this is not a joke. This person just come to fuck shit up, you know, like, yeah. And it was the best way for me to do it, you know? And uh, as soon as I put it out there, dude, it was, it was insane. The response was just incredible. Yeah. And it was, people wanted not only to see the word, but they wanted like some kind of skull with it or some kind of yeah, like, yeah, yeah image that kind of prepared them for the word so absolutely that's where it started you know in 2009 and uh okay. then it just kind of took on a life of its own and uh now it's like totally international and people are oh, forcing yeah. me to do things that i didn't really <laughs> think about doing so now it's like it's a thing you know all right so fast forwarding even more now, like when I, you know, started reaching out to you and, and, and working with you and stuff like that. First off, for those who don't know where, where I worked with you for a little bit and you, um, huge influence on me personally in terms of you made me mature very quickly in terms of dealing with um, sponsors and, and working with people and stuff like that. Cause I remember you and I had a conversation, I wouldn't say necessarily it was a falling out, but it was kind of like a dad just being like, don't do that again kind of a deal. And you just told me like, look, whatever you do when you're working with people, like you need to be completely honest. And 
it was one of those things like i don't think you realize how much i appreciated that at the time i, I do dude i do i, I, I want you it was, to, i want you to know that like yeah, i don't it, even it, consider it, us to have fallen out i consider yeah. you needed to do i just couldn't think of was, a better word no i feel you you needed to do yeah. what was right for you you yeah. know i'm not necessarily a money guy i didn't do this for money yeah like i've had to change a little bit of that and try yeah. to come up with more of a, a commerce way to do this but mm -hmm. i never did this for money dude i always did yeah. this because i just have love for what i'm doing and i love to be able to help and encourage people around me to be the best they could so it's Absolutely. never a falling out dude like, for sure for sure and i just that, like that we were able to be that honest with one another and still yeah. remain in contact and still oh. have you know a good relationship absolutely and, and that's the thing is i don't think uh, my, my point was, I don't think, I, I guarantee I'm not the only one that has had that kind of uh, uh, an effect from just as brief interactions and stuff with you. Because if anybody goes on your social media, whether it's Afro Brutality or the um, at Mr. Sin, um, you're constantly posting stuff. And it's one-liner stuff like this, but it's just the way it's worded, the way it's just, it's put out there. And I think it's the timing that you put stuff out there. It just has that 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 impact. And like, you'll, you'll post something every once in a while and I'll sit there and go, well, damn, like, damn, dude. And I'll either repost it or I'll, you know, I'll like, I'll look at something that I'm working on or whatever, kind of see it, try to view it a different way. But my, my whole point is, um, you know, when, as, as you're moving things forward now, when I started a CrossFit, you were one of the first people I reached out to. Um, and I just asked like, what are your suggestions? And, and your take on marketing is something that I, I would assume you've, you know, consulted with other people and stuff like that. But I want you to talk about that a little bit because you had, uh, you used the term guerrilla marketing. And until I really talked to you, I had no clue what that really meant. And you had given me some simple ideas in terms of marketing, you know, my gym and business and stuff along those lines. And obviously, like, I implemented them and they worked. So talk about that, like how you're, I, I just feel like you have a little bit of an unorthodox approach in terms of marketing and stuff like that. And it obviously works. So just kind of talk about, you know, how i guess how you came to that and how you've evolved it over time and stuff and, and if you do any of it still now with all the different projects and things you have going on that's a great question so you know i've got 20 over 25 years of like uh blue chip marketing you know so i've yeah. worked for very large companies and i've worked with them in the sales and marketing and sometimes advertising and like direct sales um you know kind of B2B or business to business, business yeah. to consumer. So, you know, I know primarily what people want and I know how to sell to people or individuals or even groups of individuals, right? So mm -hmm. the gym thing, people get stuck in calling it a fucking gym. It's not a gym. It is a commercial real estate, right? So yeah, I use my gym not only to work people out and make sure they had a place to work but i had the football team came there i had black miss americas come there to work out or to even schedule a meeting so it was more than just a gym it's an open space that people can rent or use or bring their own people in there to facilitate workouts or whatever so my take has always been Stop looking at it as this is only a place to work out and start looking at it as it's commercial space and you can mm -hmm. rent that space out during your downtimes or you can find other people who have followings or the same mindset yeah. as you and then figure out a way to, you know, coexist and make commerce with one another. So, I mean, that's part of it. The other part is, do you really have something to say? Do you know what I mean? Like, 
yeah. I've got something to say just based on my years of being on this planet and the different things that I've uh, come across and the kind of education that I've had and the places that I've lived. So I try to do what I can to get people to listen or shake them up or say, hey, listen, have you thought about this? Did you think about that? And that's not where I started. I pretty much started like everyone else. Oh, hey, this is my gym. Look how clean it is. Or look at where we're working out. And, you know, after a while, I always had to figure out a way to kind of differentiate myself from what was going on around me. Even now, I don't follow a lot of people on Instagram because I don't want to be like them. I'm always constantly trying to be like myself. So in terms of business... I try to pull out what, you know, I'm passionate about, what I'm motivated about, and then I try to share it with others and get like-minded people around me. But in terms of the gym itself, it's a commercial space. It's not, yes, it's a gym because that's what you've designated it or that's what the certificate of occupancy says, but at the heart of it, it's really a commercial space. So it can be used in various amounts of ways to make money or to encourage others to come, you know, be a part of whatever it is you're doing and make money with you. And, and cool. people don't necessarily look at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's a huge thing that I know. Um, like that was the one thing you had said to me, cause you flat like one of the first questions you were like, how big is your space? And you know, I gave you the square footage and the layout. You're like, okay, what are your time blocks? How big of time frames do you have where it's not sitting there doing anything? Right. And, you know, we were kind of, and you were like, well, how can you feel that kind of stuff? And it was, it was, it was huge because, you know, that helped out tremendously, especially when I then, cause I then um, sold that CrossFit and opened just a weightlifting and sports performance facility. And I feel like I took everything you told me and then like, even, you know, you know, went over it with a fine tooth comb even more to make sure that it kind of fit. And it was, it was as efficient because that was the one thing I got out of you in terms of uh, a, a brick and mortar um, facility was being how, how efficiently can you manage the, because that's the other thing I think people um, forget about when they're opening a business, whether it's a gym or anything like that. Like for a gym, for instance, a lot of people open it and they're just like, great, I got a place to work out now. Right. Um, they don't realize that it, you have to manage that facility or you have to pay somebody to do it for you. Otherwise it's not going to last very long, especially in this day and age. I think we're seeing a shift with um, CrossFits. They are no longer just, your typical box that you just go, you do a workout and you leave, like you pay your membership and, and that's it. Like all the, I, I, I find it kind of interesting that they're kind of going into all these different little sectors. Like gyms now have a nutrition component. They have like a right. barbell club, right. they have a boot camp, they have a kettlebell class, all these different things that you were talking to me about back in like 2014, 2015. And it's, it's interesting to see that that's where it's all going. Like gyms especially, essentially are bringing in specialists mm-hmm. for these different things and filling up their time, you know, from the start of the day to the end of the day. Um, but going on the marketing thing, um, like I said, the guerrilla marketing thing that you would talk to me about, like how, how did that come about? What did you do in particular that kind of helped you out? Because um, I know we did a couple of things at the gym, um, at, the, at the original, at Big Shoulders CrossFit when I first opened that one, mm-hmm. that were kind of inspired by you. So just talk about that a little bit. Well, guerrilla marketing is really about how can you appeal to the people around you, the community that you're immediately in. So even I, I kind of lucked out that what I was doing was appealing to my immediate crowd, but yeah. I also had to play that online kind of game like okay i'm not only just doing stuff for my local community but 
now I've got like an international following online. How do I figure out how to supply them as well? So it was a constant give and, give and take. What do I do locally what do, versus what do I do internationally? So mm-hmm. locally, I just kind of went after that Harlem market and went after like teachers and cops and EMS and, and FDNY, you know, like the fire department and that sort of thing. Kids football teams like I said before like whatever local organizations I can be a part of I was doing that so I was in high schools in the South Bronx I was in middle schools in the South Bronx I was in after schools in Harlem you know just trying to be that gym coach you know what I mean so it's really about figuring out what your local community is lacking and is this something that you can is there something about what you're doing passionately that you know that you're passionate about that you can share with your local community but for me it was you know kind of going that cultural spin so you know i did some malcolm x stuff you know imagery i did some black history imagery i have black history workouts that i do for black history and that's what my community is lacking so in terms of what you could do for your local community whoever it may be who's listening to this just think about what your local community is lacking. So it's not lacking gyms, right? I'm sure there's gyms in everyone's local community, but maybe it's lacking direction, right? Or quality coaching or quality workouts or functional fitness. Like just figure out where your, what your community is lacking and try to stay away from the international scene if you can. Because it, it's going to constantly pull you back and forth. Like if you're going online trying to impress people online, but you're kind of not impressing people in your local community, then that's going to you know adversely affect you directly in terms yeah. of the amount of money you can make. So always think locally, being that local hero, local champion, doing something for your local community. And if that transfers into something that's internationally recognized or something you might be able to do, then figure out a way to kind of go back and forth with that. But always concentrate on your local market. What's missing? What can you add to it? If it's, Is it fitness? Is it professionalism? Is it, you know, the type of fitness that's out there? Is it the type of coaching? Like, just figure out what, what your local community is lacking and figure out a way to go in there and uh, show them that you have something that's better. And that's what I did. I went to every single local CrossFit gym. There was only one in Manhattan. I went there. And then there was like a few in Brooklyn. I went there. And I'm like, okay, I knew what CrossFit was lacking as a community. And right. then I went I went back to my local community, which was Harlem. And I said, okay, I, I can see the – I can bridge the gap between what Harlem is missing and what the, the CrossFit community as a whole is missing. And that started me on my mission. Very cool. Now, over this time, we're going to take the, uh, it's a multi-part question here. In terms of people owning gyms and all that stuff, what have you seen in your time frame watching people that are opening gyms and closing gyms, et cetera, what have you seen uh, um, that has, you know, impressed you or you see it where it's heading in terms of you know things that people have done right over this time like in terms of that evolution we'll start there so just what have you seen from the very start to now you know in your experience that has impressed you about how things have evolved in that sense in sense of opening a gym and running a gym and all that stuff that's a great question um not many people have done anything to impress me um (laughs) a lot of people have disappointed me 
Yeah. With the amount of money they put into <clears throat> their gyms and they can barely the coaching is still subpar, you know, the merchandising subpar and you've spent literally millions of dollars. Like Yeah. Here's the thing that people don't want to realize and they don't want to talk about and whatever is CrossFit was never made to be mainstream. It was always made to be revolutionary in the garage or in a warehouse or, you know, somewhere where it was big enough where hundreds of people could come in and you could do your workout and you could make a relatively good wage by just helping your local community in terms of functional fitness. Once we started to hit Main Street with millions of dollars and 20, 30,000 square feet and all this madness where people are putting in their, they're, they're cashing in their 401ks, they're using their IRAs, they're using their retirement funds to get affiliated and get gyms. And once there was like this magnet where you had to make money or there was this stigma that, oh, all I got to do is, you know, go to a level one for the weekend and then pay an affiliation fee. And now I'm going to make, you know, six figures and all this other stuff. You know, that's that's when the community aspect stopped and the money, you know, capitalist aspect started to take place. And once that happened, it was always going to be the, you know, the difference between the haves and have nots. And that's where it's coming down to. It's like, who has the latest CrossFit, you know, regional athletes coaching there? Who has the latest equipment? You know, like it's not, it hasn't come down to professionalism, coaching, making sure everyone's moving as one, making sure that you are building an actual community. Like that is gone. Yeah. You know, there's people in, you know, that are gyms that are local to each other, don't talk to each other. You know, they don't talk to each other. They don't compete with each other. They don't go to each other's gym, there's no camaraderie, but that's where I came from. I came from all camaraderie, all community, all family. Like we used to get together, all of the big so-called big gyms and all the big athletes, we all used to get together on Fridays and just throw down for hours Yeah. and then just, you know, complain about the workout after. (laughs) Like that's just what we did. Yeah. And now you just don't get that, man. It's now – you know, what top celebrity is coming in for the weekend that we can do a photo shoot with? And, you know, yeah. how much can we pay this person to come? And it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's no longer a community and family. It's more, you know, who's got the latest this? Who's got a photo shoot with so-and-so? Uh, what's your discount code? And yeah. it's just retarded, dude. Yeah. Like, I, I can't stand it. You know, I do understand that there has to be a commerce part to this so it can last, you know, the, the test of time. But... There's got to be a better way to do it, dude. It can't so, necessarily just be, you know, I got to take from you to make more money, you know? Right. And so that was one of your previous points that you had just mentioned. That was one thing that always floors me about some of these gyms is you see gyms posting about, oh, we just bought two new air runners or we have 10 assault bikes or we got a couple skiers or whatever like that. And then you look at their general membership, their general population and all that stuff. And it's like 90% of those people do not care if you have those in your facility or not. And like even a a higher percentage of those people aren't going to actually use those machines. Exactly. Like those are more for the coach. And it's like, I just feel like, like you said that that money could be so much better utilized for coaching education or bringing on a, a qualified coach or bringing some, you know, seminars, workshops to your gyms and provide them for the members, like free of charge, stuff like that. So yep. I, I, I'm really 
glad to hear that because sometimes in this day and age, I think people, like you said, they get caught up with the shiny objects or the, the we have this and we have that. And, yeah, um, it's, it's too there, much, man. And it's there was a, too much. There was a quote from Greg Glassman when I was taking the level one, and I, and I loved my level one staff. Um, and they, 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 present, they put this quote kind of up on the board, and it was Glassman's quote, and it just said, how clean are your bathrooms? Yep. And I just was like, I remember just sitting there going, wow, okay, I get that. And it was like ever since then I walked away and it was just, I mean, what spoke to me was just if you don't have the most granular details ironed out and sorted out, like all the fancy stuff, it, it, it's not going to matter. Like the, you yep. can have the most shiniest objects, the greatest toys, the best programming, so to speak. But I think that even in and of itself these days, I, I find it really interesting that everybody is going back to now outsourcing programming. I feel like there was a little bit it's, of it. I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, dude. Like I was scared as shit to program for my gym. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, that was the hardest thing to do. Like, I could teach you to snatch, to clean, you know, whatever. But when it came down to, now I've got to take total responsibility for your workouts and, you know, to make sure that I can hit every, the key components, the key movements so that you feel like, you know, you're working out or you're getting stronger or healthy or whatever. Dude, that's, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And that's, and I feel like people just, do it you know they just kind of throw something up there and here's the thing dude like there's a lot of issues with group fitness right and one of the key issues is it is not a fucking it it should be more custom rather than general you know what i mean like i have specific needs you have specific needs I can't necessarily just program for you or me and just make it general and think that you're going to get everything you need and I'm going to get everything I need. It's like, that's not how it works. And that's what I tell people. Like, if you think you could just show up to a CrossFit one hour a day, five days a week, and now you're just fucking, it's got everything you need. That's not how this works. Yeah. This is like going to school and then coming home and doing homework. You know what I mean? And then maybe doing some homework on the weekends and, you know, maybe taking summer school, you know, yeah. like, yeah, exactly. And that's this my is education, dude. It doesn't stop. And that's when I get, when I get coaches that'll ask me, like, well, what do you recommend in terms of that? I'm like, just stay in your lane. Like when I first opened a CrossFit, I knew weightlifting and I knew how to get people strong. That was my thing. When it came to Metcons, gymnastics, I ridiculous. Reached, ridiculous. I reached out, I reached out to people who were experts. Like for instance, when I, when I own big shoulders, um, I would program, you know, like I, we, we co-programmed my, my business partner and I, he would, you know, put the Metcons together and I, and, and I would put the strength work together and we try to make it, there you, you know, go. you know, coincide because it was just like, I didn't understand that. Like I had influences like Rudy Nielsen and, you know, I followed a lot of stuff from like Invictus and right. Misfit and all that, but it was just, I wasn't confident enough. Like I needed about That's two smart, years, dude. I needed about two years to do fitness, like Metcon things. There you go. And now I think I have a better idea, but even then I'm still texting people being like, Hey, what do you think about this? Like, I feel like this is too much, you know, quad dominant movement, blah, 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 blah. And that's my thing is I'm paralysis by analysis, but I just remember <laughs> for a while there, people were like, nobody knows my membership base. Like I do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that might be true. But, like, I know for a fact, even just programming one program for my entire gym, it would take me two hours on a Sunday to get it all done. It's not and, easy. And, now, let, well, me tell you, let me tell you what I used to do. Yeah. What I did was, because we used to work out in the sidewalks and parks, Yeah. I would base my workouts on who showed up. Oh, okay. So, if I know, like, you know, I knew everybody. What, yeah. Every person that came to my gym, I knew what they could do well, what they could do 
poorly. I knew at what weight they did well and at yeah, yeah, what yeah. weight was going to challenge them. So I would just wait for people to show up. And then yeah. I would literally go to the board with my chalk, my blackboard, with my chalk, and then I would just work, write the workout based on who showed up. Okay, you need to work on this. You need to work on this. We need to work on this as a, as a fucking crew. Yeah. Boom, let's go. That's awesome. Like, yeah. I can't. To me, it's so arbitrary to sit there and say, okay, for a month, we've got to do all this and we got to do all that. No, if so-and-so, and and here's the thing, I I love the beauty because it kept me engaged. Like if I just, I could fall asleep, dude. Like I've gone to other people's gym. I've coached at other people's gym and they've got the Wattify and it's on the board, a nice little TV screen and I'm reading it. And there's, there's nothing there that engages me. Do you know what I mean? Like there's nothing there that says, man, this is engageable because Johnny can't do this and Joanne can't do this. And Mike can't, this is perfect workout for who I'm looking at. How do I know that? Unless I get to know the individuals that are in front of me. Right. And that's my, always been my take. It's hard to do. Yes. Let me tell you, it's fucking really hard to do. Absolutely. It's emotionally draining. And then at the end of the day, you know, you're never going to be satisfied based on the feedback you're going to get from your members. No, absolutely. Like they're going to leave eventually and they're going to move on and you're going to have spent all this time to make sure that they were better or they got stronger or whatever. And some will appreciate that and some don't give a fuck. But If this is what you do, if this is your passion, then I'm more of that mindset that I kind of I got that from uh, from Louie at Westside. I'm like, he knows everybody that walks yes. in. He knows their numbers. I'm like, I'm going to be Louie. Fuck that. I'm going to yeah. you come in my gym. If you're a member of my fucking I'm going to know everything there is to know about you. I maybe not your shoe size, but I'm going to know your clean and jerk, your snatch. I'm going to know yep. how fast you can run a 400 how fast you can run a 200, how fast you can run an 800, how fast you can run a mile. I'm going to know these things about you. Yeah. I'm going to know when you have that look on your face or you're about to fucking pass out or that look in your face where you don't think this is hard enough. Like, I know all these nuances. Yeah. And that's what I pride myself on. I don't want to – that's why I've always been a, a straight away from, like, the 400-member gym, the 600-member gym because yeah. how am I going to manage – 600 different personalities right. and what their needs and wants are yeah like to me it, that would take an army to do that like, yes absolutely you know what i mean i'm just and one well, man that, and that was that was it's really funny you mentioned that because um you know uh, when i owned the crossfit i would always get on people about not entering their the results because we had wattify and all that stuff and i was like you were like i wanted to see like how people responded to certain stimuluses what their lifts were stuff like that so when they were in class i can adjust things if need be and like you'd get those people that would just like put their time in or they wouldn't put all their weights in and all that stuff and they just like leave class and i it used to drive me nuts and i think that's why i moved more back over to the sports performance and the and the weightlifting stuff is because mm-hmm. Um, I, we have an intern now, um, he's our first intern out there and he kind of asked me like three or, you know, a couple little like cues and all that stuff. I said, first off, I said, say hi to everybody when they walk in the door. Mm. Um, I was like, second off, I said, no, what the heck they do? Like I have a PR board on the gym for the weightlifters. Everybody's got their lifts over there, but I also know stupid things. Like we have what we call dumb, uh, uh, um, dumb gym lifts where it's just something we have like sandbags and tires and sleds and all that. And we'll like load up a sled, lay on your back and do pullovers with a rope. 
And it's like, who can pull the most amount of weight 50 feet? Right. Like, I, I know in the gym who can do that. And so, like, we'll joke around about stuff like that. Or we'll do, like, um, certain sorts of box jump challenges. All sorts of stuff like that. And I think that's why I paired it back to, mm. you know, not just the CrossFit, but back sense. to the weightlifters. Because, like, people, everybody that walks into the gym, I know what, like, I watch them hit a lift and I'm like, you're done. They're like, but right. I want to go up. And it's like, you're not there. Like, you're, you're moving. Something is off. Like, we need to pair it back whatever and it's just it's really it's really refreshing to hear that because i mean you'll see the just the generalization of just like okay guys you're doing great and then the other thing i always tell i told my intern i said walk around ask everybody how they're doing Mm. like um that was uh, a friend of mine who owns a gym up in wisconsin that was his one big thing he goes if i hit whether the class has five people or you know 20 people he goes i make it a point at least during that hour that they're in there to at least walk around to every person and have some sort of an interaction. And I like you That's were talking, good. you were talking about, it gives that buy-in that like the yeah. members are like, you know what? They're not just taking my money. Like they actually care about me. They care. Cause right. you don't know that person might be having like the horrible, like the worst day ever. And Absolutely. the fact that you just came up to them and we're like, Hey, how's it going today? Like, how you feeling? Like, what do you think of the workout kind of a deal? Like, do you think those cleans at 205 are going to be, you know, a challenge, whatever? They're like, they are invested in my well-being and me getting better. And I just feel like it's just reciprocal. Like, it doesn't need to be as hard as people, you know, make it out to be. Like, it's just, right. just, just give a crap about people and they're going to, you know, reward you tenfold, in my opinion. And I, I agree and like with I said, that. And it's one two of those other, things. Two other cheat codes I want to drop on your listeners. Let's one is... Don't be afraid to just specialize in something. You walk in these gyms, oh, we got a strength program, we got yoga, we got Pilates, we've got blah, 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 blah. like I told people straight up, dude, we specialize in the barbell. Yeah. So what you're going to get here is barbell movements and endurance movements. Yeah. So and only a few gymnastics movements. I only cared about Clean complexes, squat complexes, how fast you can run an 800, how fast you can run a 200, and how fast you can run a 400. Push-ups, sit-ups, air squats, burpees, and can you do a handstand? Like, I didn't necessarily care about the muscle-up and the kipping this. I didn't care. Like, I told people straight up, like, we're not your typical place. We specialize in this. We don't specialize in that. If you want this, go that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't be afraid to just specialize in something and let the guy down the block try to do it all while you specialize in something. You used to run a competition that was called, like, Fuck the Rig or something, didn't you? Um, we tr- we I did what I could to get that fucker off the ground, but yeah. people, I don't know, dude. I, don't no, know, I, just, I, I just, I remember <laughs> I remember seeing the posts for it. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, hell, I want to do that. Like, I hate do- all bar. You know, like I'm, and I'm, I'm. It's took, it's taken me years to try to figure out how to do a competition. But when you see me do a competition, it's going to be idiot proof. Yeah, you know what absolutely. I mean. The the judging is going to be idiot proof, and the scoring is going to be idiot proof. That's awesome. And I'm trying to work it where it comes down to the last man standing. Yeah. So there's actually, no question of who won. You'd actually uh, probably enjoy talking to my buddy, uh, Mark Valenti. He owns Blind Dog Gym out in Lorain, Ohio. He started out as a CrossFit, but they run a very conjugate-esque type programming, but they focus on strongman stuff. They I like don't, it. They don't do any gymnastics. Um, I like it. He's like, he's like, he's like I, he goes, I don't know how to do them. He goes, I can learn how to do them. He goes, but I want to be able to demonstrate. 
and show them like, hey, this is how you do it. He goes, if I can't do it, I'm not going to teach it. Plain and simple. I like um, that. They don't, do the, they don't do a lot of the Olympic lifts either. Um, okay. Simply because they, they, they focus on, you know, squatting, pressing, deading. Uh, and then they have a lot. They, but they have all the strongman toys, which is really cool. I actually finally got to see his gym the other day. He legit has like a like 500 square foot area of the gym that is just filled with Atlas stones. Wow. And he just, he, he's made them all. Uh, he, he'll post like uh, pictures of, you know, like, you know, moms and grandpas and right, doctors right, are right. lifting these Atlas stones and like the look of like just pure joy on their faces. They're lifting these things or what it's, it's really cool to see, but he right. programs in that traditional, like cross it. He'll use EMOMs. He'll use rounds for time, but he gets rid of barbell and gymnastics movements and he'll put yokes in or he'll put farmer's handles or like the it. Atlas stones. So it's really cool when you said the whole specialized thing. Cause I remember when he yeah, first try to be at all, like well, you got gyms that are trying to do it all, yeah. man. Like why? And, well, I mean, <laughs> And when he first started doing that, people just kind of looked like they turned, they did like the whole dog turning their head thing. When you say something to him, like, it was just like, why is he doing that? Mm. But you know what? He, 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 he unaffiliated and the gym is doing fantastic. They have a ton of members. They have coaches that they bring up through that. And I think it also helps having, you know, he's not that far from Louis Simmons. He's not that far from Matt Wenning, who's down in, uh, um, right around uh, Columbus area too. He's got his own facility now, nice. All the, like that whole area. And then you have CrossFit conjugate down, you know, go down closer to, uh, Cincinnati, um, with Shane sweat and all them down there. Like, I think that's just a little bit of a Mecca in terms of that conjugate methodology. So Absolutely. literally, literally the state of Ohio has a pretty big gym that emphasizes conjugate from the southern part of the state all the way up to the northern part of the state where he is because he's right outside Cleveland. Then you got the guys in Columbus, and then you have you know sweat down in uh, Cincinnati and all that stuff. But that's the first thing I thought of when you thought of specializing because that was my whole thing. I was yeah, like, oh, I mean, that's, I, that was my thing, dude. Like I didn't, <clears throat> I specialized myself in saying, listen, I'll get you stronger, I'll get you yeah. healthier, I'll get you faster. Well, I'm not going to, you're not going to be able to go to the games. Like, I'm not going to take you to the games. Yeah. Right. We don't, I didn't care about that, dude. I cared about my community just being healthier. I didn't yeah, necessarily yeah. care if they won the open or they went to the regionals or the games. I w I've been there. I've done that. Absolutely. And I know what it takes to get athletes there. And I know what it takes, the toll it takes on a gym when you start talking about the open and regionals and all yeah. that, like. I understand people want to work out for a reason, and maybe you can create that reason within your gym. Yeah. Like, I didn't – I was totally against the Open with my gym. I'm like, we're not doing it. And then there was, like, a coup, and then people started doing it on their own, and then I was like, fuck it. Then I, I helped do it. But, you know, we can – you can compete in your gym as an Open, right? But you yeah. don't necessarily need to give you 20 bucks to CrossFit to yeah. compete in the Open. You can do it within your gym. You can Absolutely. create teams. You. There's all kinds of things you can do. The issue is everyone is like dick riding. So if whoever won the games last year, let's watch everything he's doing this year and buy all his toys. And, yeah. you know, like it's ridiculous. Like we're not we've lost the sense of community. We've lost the sense of we're helping our our communities. We're trying to get people healthier and faster and all that. We're yeah. Like chasing the big dream, who's going to win the Open or who's going to win the games and big checks and, you know, all this. Like, let's get back to community, dude. That's yeah. all I've ever cared. That's why I started this. Not because yeah. I wanted – I thought I could win anything. Uh, I did this because I knew I could make a difference in my community, and I Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Thank you very much, man. And uh, for everybody listening, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode. What's one thing you use every training session? One thing that if you changed – for under $10 would have an immediate effect on your training. 
for myself and my lifters that was upgrading to Hand Armor Chalk. Hand Armor, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting, is professional grade stuff. We keep it old school in the gym with their block chalk, but for me personally, I'm a huge fan of their liquid chalk. I use it whenever I'm throwing as a base glare before I tape up my hands and it's a total game changer. It's completely mess free, long lasting, antimicrobial, and most importantly, gives me a great grip for my entire training session. I love this stuff and recommend you give it a try. The block chalk just starts at $3 and the liquid chalk under $7. Plus, if you use code AGENDA at checkout, you get an additional 10% off. HandArmorChalk.com. Go get yours now. Hey guys and gals, if you are looking for the lightning round for Sin's interview, uh, we pushed that back to the season finale episode 20. I even threw in a bonus question for you guys um, because I'm making you wait an extra week for that. There was just so much information on this podcast and this interview that we had to split it up into two episodes. So thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you are patient enough and you will wait for the season finale episode 20 with the second half of my interview with Sin from Afro Brutality. If you haven't already done so, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you get episode 20 straight to your favorite podcast player, and you also get season three when that's ready and launched. Thanks for listening to Strength Agenda Radio. Be sure to visit strengthagendaradio.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover exclusive offers and resources for our listeners. Until next time, train hard, lift heavy.